This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. I was watering the grass the other day. We're watering our grass uh, because we haven't had much rain and the grass needs water. But then there are those places in the yard where there's really not that much grass. And so you can see, if you've had to do this, right, that the ground can, when it gets so dry that the water, instead of seeping down into where the grass is or was, it just kind of rolls on past, right? The, the ground has become hard packed and it's uh, the, the the life-giving water that the ground needs so much and that the grass needs so much really just can't filter in because the because the hardness of the soil. And sometimes when we um, encounter the, the Spirit of God or the Word of God, because of the dryness of our lives, we have uh, a difficult time hearing and receiving the truth of God's Word. Uh, that dryness can come from just spiritual lethargy, uh, it can come from discouragement. It can come from the struggle that we face in this world as we see all of the events that take place. There's a lot of different factors that can, that can lead to that. And uh, sometimes Jesus, when he was teaching, would use parables uh, that, are, that are sometimes stories or illustrations to try to penetrate the hardness of the hearts of the people. Instead of just saying to them, hey, you, you should be praying more he would often tell a story. And so this morning, we're gonna consider one of uh, those parables related to prayer. I've heard this, this story about some research that was done, and it was a, a group of people that were wanting to explore how open were people to uh, receiving information about uh, quitting smoking. And so they had a couple of 10-year-old kids with some brochures that had information uh, for smokers about the dangers of smoking and the health risks associated with that, uh, that exercise. Exercise is probably not a good way to put it, but that behavior, right? And so they wanted to see, would people be open to getting information from a child about smoking and how likely were they to take that information in an ongoing way? So they would have these, these uh, two 10-year-old kids came up and gave them the brochures and they, people were always received the information but uh, nine out of 10 people within a few blocks had discarded uh, the pamphlet. They did not have a great success rate. So they tried a different approach. They, they gave uh, the two 10-year-old kids cigarettes. And the kids would walk up to people who were smoking and say, hey, can I get a light? And the people would then say, oh, no, oh, no, no, I'm not going to give you a light. You know, that's, that's bad for you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be smoking. Don't do that. And they would say, well, you're doing it. Well, I know. And then they would kind of go into, ah, it's not really good for me. So, well, would you be open then to getting some information about how you could quit? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, the, the percentage of success was reversed. 90% of the people uh, would receive the information and take it with them. Now, we obviously don't know how effective it was, but just the mere approach in getting to the heart of the person really matters. And that's why I think Jesus uses so many parables. He gives us an illustration or tells us a story that, that kind of makes us think about something that Jesus is wanting to teach us. Without giving us a, a, a frontal assault on our brokenness, he just tells a story to give us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. 
And as those of us who are wanting to grow in prayer, or sometimes we struggle with prayer, or we, when we sit down to really pray, one of the things that we often pray is, oh Lord, it's been too long since I've been praying. Oh Lord, help me to be more of a prayerful person. And we all maybe have struggled with that from time to time. Jesus gives us this parable in the 18th chapter of Luke to describe uh, how we can pray and he says, not lose heart. So if you're able, uh, with, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this word. Uh, for this account, uh, that we would pray and not lose heart. Uh, give us the courage to hear and to obey what it is you've called us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a cross-country season, and we, while the races haven't started yet, any uh, student or athlete who is getting ready for a cross-country season is working this summer to prepare for the race. And uh, we have... Uh, participated in that with some of our children. Some of them run cross country, and it's a pretty fun event to be able to go out to Shelby Farms and watch, you know, a few hundred uh, middle school boys and middle school girls, uh, or even high school students run those races. But at the beginning of the fall, it's really still extremely hot out there, and for folks that that want to compete in those races, you, you know that it's just a challenge. Running is one of the most challenging sports uh, that you can do because it's just you. And even though you're on a team that can encourage you, it's, it's you against the race. It's you against the other runners. And myself, I'm not a runner. I despise running. I'm always against running for myself. I'm, against, I'm for it for everybody else. But I hurt my knee and it just, it just, I can't do it. But that feeling though, if you've ever been in a running race, that feeling when you're at the starting line is one of the, for me, in all my storied athletic career, is one of the most nerve-wracking moments because you're just there and that starter's gun is about to fire and you just feel all this welling up in you. And you have this vision of being able to finish the race and break the tape with your chest to be the one who comes in first. But pretty soon, I realized I was not going to be the one who came in first, especially if it was any, any distance involved. I began to, to lose heart. I began to be discouraged because I wasn't prepared as much or I wasn't fast enough to be the winner of the race. And you can see that with some of these children as they go out and run because you realize there's only going to be one person who comes in first place. 
And that person is really fast. And so as you're running, you begin to see some of the children lose heart. They be, become weary. And instead of pressing on and fighting and keeping going, they just set, tend to slow down and even walk. Well, what I realize uh, in watching uh, runners is I've had to learn that it's not really about winning. Not that winning is not a worthy goal, but it's really about running, about going out and competing and challenging yourself, getting a better time than you've ever had, getting a PR or your own personal record. That's what it's really about. And so if your goal is to compete, and if your goal is to, is to do your best, then you, then you don't lose heart. And so as we're approaching this parable that Jesus says to the, to the people who are listening to him, look at verse 1. He says, and this parable... He says they ought to always pray and not lose heart. The reason why he's telling them this parable is that he wants them to pray and not lose heart. And so I'm sharing this with you because I want you to pray and to not lose heart. You may not be in a cross-country race, but you're in a different kind of race at this stage of your life. There are goals, there are objectives, and it's quite possible that you feel weary the weather's been really hot. You haven't trained as well as you would have liked. But nevertheless, here you are in this place, and I want you to be encouraged to pray and to not lose heart, because that's what Jesus wants for us. And so in a sermon series on prayer, one of the things that we can do is to pray and not lose heart. So here is what Jesus says uh, to them. He tells them uh, that this, uh, there's a woman, he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who never feared God, neither feared God nor respected man. It starts out by saying, in a certain city. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't know the name of the city, uh, but it's a certain city. Jesus is giving this, this picture. He's wanting his hearers to just imagine a city. Now, it may have been a, a bigger city or a smaller city. It could have been Jerusalem or Capernaum or maybe a smaller village. But it was a city that they would be able to relate to in that it was a city made of their people, right? Their people who had been given the word of God, who knew the commandments, who were called to live righteously and faithfully. And so when they pictured a certain city, they would picture a city like theirs, where they had hoped that the people who were in charge of serving and leading were righteous and were just. That's what they would have pictured a judge in their city who respected the law of God, someone who honored people, and someone who lived in their community. But we learn at the beginning that in this certain city, the judge neither feared God nor respected man. This is an unrighteous and unjust judge. So people immediately would begin to say, oh, I wonder what it would like, be like to live in that community where one of the people who's charged with leading and governing and caring is unrighteous, doesn't honor God, and, and doesn't honor the people. What would it be like to live in a place where your leader or one of your leaders was unrighteous or unjust? You can think about the division and the tension and the uncertainty that that would create in a community if one of the leaders was not righteous. In verse 3, we learn, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So there's a widow. She's seeking justice, and we don't know why. Jesus doesn't tell us what's the reason why she's searching for justice. But some, for some reason, she had been wronged. 
She had been harmed. According to the word of God, the truth of God's word, someone had done something to her or something was being done in the community that was unjust. And she needed someone to speak on her behalf, to make it right. And the person to whom she was appealing was the judge. But the problem is, what? The judge is unrighteous. Now, we don't know the reason. It's not, we're not told what the injustice is. But we do know that she is a widow. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means literally that her husband has died. But it means more than that. It means, number one, she is a female, which gives her a certain amount of power in the community. And because she has no husband, then it gives her a certain amount of power in the community. Right? So men had more power, and married women had more power, but vulnerable, the most vulnerable people in the community were the widows. They weren't allowed to own land. They weren't allowed to work. They had no one to provide for them, and so they were very vulnerable. She is not a powerful person in the community. She doesn't have any pull, but what does she have? Persistence. She says it's that Jesus tells us that she kept coming to him. She came to the judge repeatedly. She came often. She was the proverbial squeaky wheel searching for the grease. And what is she asking for? She's asking for justice. Now, we don't know what the issue was that was, she was facing. But asking a judge to do the right thing is a good thing. When we've been wronged, for sure, we want justice, right? I want it to be made right because this person has harmed me, and so I want this to be dealt with. But we also want justice in our community, don't we? We want every person, especially those that don't have a voice, those who are vulnerable, uh, the widows in our community, to be sure that they experience justice. Because when we have a just community, everyone flourishes. Not just the powerful, not just the strong, or the wealthy, wealthy, or the educated, or the influential, but every person in the community is safe and has an opportunity to be healthy and to flourish and to be cared for. And I think that God is inclined to hear those prayers. I know that God hears every single prayer. But I think that when we're praying the prayers that God would have us pray, when we pray that the kingdom of God would be revealed in the world and would be extended to this community in which we live, God desires that those kinds of prayers be answered. And I think it's pleasing to God when his people pray for justice, when we pray for those who are vulnerable, those with no voice, those who need to be given someone to advocate for them. It's our responsibility to pray for justice in the world. You know, one of the things that we, that we realize uh, when we think about justice is, you know, there are different uh, definitions of justice. Uh, in America, often we think of justice as my individual rights. But the biblical pattern for, for justice and for shalom is, is something different. 
It's the flourishing of all the people uh, in the community. It's the righteousness of God uh, being revealed and executed in the life of the community where everybody has an opportunity to flourish. It's, it's much fuller and richer than simply individual rights. Although those are important, it's a bigger picture of that. And so when we think about what is just in our community, we realize that there is injustice that takes place. So here, here's an example of what I think is injustice in the world uh, that we live in. You know, when we think about uh, crime and uh, gang violence, uh, the murder rate in our city, it can be distressing. It can be difficult. And we just wonder, well, why, why, would you, why would you do that? Why would you commit crime when you can do the right thing and be honest and earn a living? Now, crime is crime for a reason. It's against, it uh, breaks the law. But one of the questions that we can ask is, why do people feel like this is the best solution for them? Why, sh why do people do what they do? What leads to this kinds of behavior that leads to eventually uh, incarceration, people being in prison? Did you know that according to a national adult literacy survey, 70% of all incarcerated adults can't read at a fourth grade level? They lack the reading skills to navigate many everyday tasks or hold down anything but low-paying jobs. Incarcerated adults, while we in one sense are thankful they're experiencing the just penalty for a crime, if it is indeed a just penalty, that's a good thing. But what is unjust, I think, is that we live in a community where so many kids don't have a culture of reading within their family. And if literacy rates and reading rates hinder those children from being able to function in society, the temptation to do things that are illegal to get ahead is more prevalent for them than it is for children who live in a family where books are everywhere and people want to read and moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles sit down and say, let me read you a story. It's not the kid's fault that they grew up in a family where reading isn't prevalent. And so in a sense, that's unjust. And we know that that leads to crime. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? Well, I'm convinced that when we begin to pray about the injustices that we experience, and then when we begin to pray about the injustices that occur in our own community, instead of a reactionary stance that says, ah, this city, you gotta get out of here, this country's going to hell in a handbasket, God changes our hearts. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I know, Jenny. You know, I, I put it on do not disturb. So no one can disturb me but myself. It's great. So I said something one time about like if your phone goes off in the, uh, in the service, you've got to put money in the offering plate. So that's how they do, how they do it in, uh, in Honduras, right? So here's the point. Uh, people should go to jail if they commit crimes. But people who commit crimes are less likely to be able to read. And 
if we pray and we have a heart for those people who don't know how to read, then maybe God will use us to teach them how to read. That's the point. And so when we go to Sea Isle in a couple weeks, we're just simply trying to create an environment at Sea Isle where the teachers feel good about the start of school. That they know there's some other people in town that say, these folks have me. They care about what's going on in my life. They just brought a delicious barbecue meal to encourage me. And there's someone who's praying for me this school year. Because every teacher this summer, and especially over the last couple of years, has been through difficult things, right? Because every one of us has. And what's it like to be heading back into, and Seattle's a great school, by the way. Dr. Meeks and Ms. McGee and the people that we know there are fantastic administrators, and they love Seattle. And let me tell you, if you walk in those doors, you're going to get that sense of excitement about what they're called to do to invest in our community. But the reality is there are kids at that school that aren't reading at grade level. And if they don't read at grade level at age third grade and fourth grade, there's a, likely, a more likely chance that they don't get a diploma. And if they don't get a diploma, there's a greater temptation for them to do things that don't fit into the, the, uh, the criminal code. And you know, by going up and setting up a classroom, or going up and providing a lunch, or building a relationship with a teacher, what we can do as neighbors in this community is to say, we are gonna make a difference in this world. Because I know pretty much everybody here knows how to read. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room knows how to read. If you know how to read, you can teach someone how to read. It's just that simple, by just reading with them. So that's why we're talking about this and why we're wanting to partner and support them. We don't have all the answers. And this, by the way, doesn't mean that you can't serve at Woodland School or at Dogwood or at Riverdale or wherever you feel called to invest your life. But man, when we begin to pray and we see that people are in need in our community, then God changes our hearts and motivates us and moves us to make a difference. So I'm just inviting you with me and our, and our team uh, to be part of that. And if you can't go, uh, then pray. Say, I'm gonna commit one hour that week to pray for that administration, those students, those families, and the people that go, that we would be able to bless that community. Because here's the thing, this is another thing that I saw uh, this week that was really, really sad. Uh, George Barna uh, is a researcher and does a lot of research with, uh, with the Christian world and looking at uh, views and opinions on lots of different things. Came out with a survey uh, this week that said only 21% of non-Christians have a positive view of the church. 21% of non-Christians have a positive view of the church. So that means 80% are either negative or indifferent. Now my goal really is not for people to have a positive view of the church. My goal is for people to have a positive view of Jesus. And when they see Jesus, uh, they'll see that the church is an imperfect place for imperfect people that are trying to make a difference for Jesus. But we have some work to do because for a lot of the church, it's just about what we're against uh, and those kinds of things. And we can make a difference by praying, by asking God to show up. And guess what happens in the parable? Verse 4, for while he, the judge, refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. 
that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. First he said no, but then later he changed his mind. And what was the difference? The woman kept asking. Jesus doesn't tell us how long the woman persisted, only that the judge was taking his time. It needs to be stated three different times, right? The widow was bothering him. Jesus said she kept coming. Verse 5 says the judge relented so that she would not beat me down by her continual coming. She keeps asking why, because the judge is not answering. She's forced to wait. Now, that's not something that we like to do either. We could do a whole sermon on waiting, right? Because when we ask God to do something, we say, Lord, please do something, and we're hoping that he's going to do it by the time the microwave goes off at one minute. Push the button and get your meal out in one minute. Waiting challenges us. Waiting reminds us that even though we live in an efficient world, we're not really very efficient. The formation of character in our own hearts and lives takes a lifetime. And part of that comes as a result of waiting. The things that we want to happen don't happen in the time frame that we would like for them to, to take place. And God in his grace and his mercy is with us. When we see through the Bible, there are all kinds of people that have to, have to wait. Abraham and Sarai waited for a, for a child. Moses waited in the desert. Even Jesus waited for his glory to be revealed. But so often, and it's our waiting, and it's our petitioning, that God reveals himself. God shows himself to be faithful and kind and loving. Even if we don't get the answer necessarily that we would like, God reveals himself to us, and he draws close to us. But that happens in the ongoing asking. So whatever it is that you've been asking God for, don't stop asking him. Continue to ask, continue to petition, continue to wait. But here's what takes place. She's trusting that God is going, that the judge is going to do the right thing at some point. So she keeps asking. Uh, when, she's, when Jesus says that she beat him down, the literal translation is to strike him under the eye. She's going to give the judge a black eye if he doesn't do the right thing. But think about this. This is amazing, right? One of the most vulnerable people in the town, a defenseless widow, helpless, powerless, desperate, she's beating down the most powerful man in the city. How? She just keeps asking. She just keeps persisting. She just keeps going and going. With her little tiny petitions, the judge eventually relents. If you've ever been to Blanchard Caverns in Arkansas, you see the power of one tiny little drop of water that can create a massive cavern with unfathomable beauty inside. One little drip at a time. One little drip at a time. It changes the landscape. It can literally move and reshape a mountain. Persistence and ongoing persistence. This constant dripping Constant asking eventually leads the judge who doesn't respect God or man by his own admission. Interestingly, that he says, I am a judge who doesn't respect God or doesn't respect man. He relents. And then Jesus says this in verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect 
who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. It's essentially what Jesus is saying, is if this unrighteous judge who doesn't respect God, who doesn't care about people, relents to a poor, vulnerable widow, how much more then will the God of the universe who paid for our relationship with him through the precious blood of his son, how much more then will he answer our prayers? How much more then will he desire to be in conversation with us? How much more then does he want to hear those things that cause us pain, those things that make us angry, those things that keep us up at night? How much more then will this loving God who gave his very life for us to be in communion with him want to hear that which causes us heartache and sorrow? How much more then will he hear our prayers as we seek God to change and to act in our world of injustice? How much more? The question is, do we cry to him day and night? Are we really going to God? Are we really saying, Lord, we're, we believe that you can make these changes in this world and in us? We just need to become like the woman petitioning the judge. Let me think about this. She's alone. She can't work. She has no husband to care for her. She has no provision for survival. Somehow she's been harmed, and no one is advocating for her. And so the only tool that she has to affect justice is persistent asking. And while we feel sorry for her situation, Jesus is saying, remember the purpose of the parable, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, it's when you get to the bottom. It's when it's the most discouraging, when the relationships are the most fractured or the, or the, the balance sheet on the, on the budget is the lowest or when you feel at your worst, when you feel the most desperate, when you've had the worst week, when you've yelled at the windshield, at the traffic or whatever is going on in your life or you've laid up in bed at night with tears on your pillow. That's when we're called to pray. When we have nothing to give or to do, that's when we're called to pray. Because we realize, even though we had it all together before, we couldn't really affect change in our lives. How many of you have had your life turn out the way you thought it would? Anyone here? Gene, just, is you raising your hand or are you scratching your ear? Scratching your ear, okay. Right? And maybe if you're eight or nine, it's going pretty good so far. But none of us has had it turn out the way that we anticipated. It's all full of ups and downs and, and unanticipated hurts and concerns and stresses and anxieties. None of us has had it work out the way that we thought. And yet, is God any farther away from us because the plan that we had didn't come to fruition? You see, it's in the, in the depths of sorrow and despair, of discouragement, of heartbreak, of sorrow, when we've really been available and open. Our, the hardness of our hearts has been more open to God in those moments than at any other time. And so as hard as those hard times have been, what a gift they have been to us because they've led us to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. We've realized that we're, we're not efficient people 
We don't have it together. We're not like winning all the time. But that doesn't deter God from pursuing us in relationship and loving us and then also using us. What a gift. What a blessing to know that God continues to pursue and to, and to follow us into the depths. And then Jesus finishes with this statement. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does he mean? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's a challenging statement for us, though. What does it mean? What will Jesus, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is going to come and return one day. And we may go to glory before he returns, but will he find faith? Will he see his people living and operating out of faith? Will he see people who are his living hopeful, joyful, prayerful lives, experiencing the presence of God, celebrating the good things of this life, rejoicing and encouraging and being the kind of people that are attractive because they have the spirit of God working within them? Will he see the kind of people who say, we're going to give everything we have to serve and invest in our community because these people are our neighbors. They are us and we are them. And so it's a natural outflowing of the work that God has done in our lives to give away our time, our talent, our treasure to serve the least of these because we were the least of these at one point and God rescued us and he saved us and he loved us. And so it's a natural thing for us to live with joy in the world and to go out and to proclaim the good news in word and deed. Or will he see people who are negative? believing the lies told to them by either cable news network, living in grumbling fear about the fur and this is how it is, will he see faith? Because if we believe in Jesus, if we believe he's the, the conqueror of the world and we're aligned with him and united to him, then we have to be the first one. We have to be. And if we're not, then maybe we don't even know him. Maybe we haven't spent enough time just listening and seeing who he is to get a glimpse of his glory and his power and his presence. So what are you praying for? Last week, your homework assignment was to write down something on the piece of paper. What are you praying for? Do you believe that God can answer your prayer? Say yes, somebody. He can and he will. It's not always yes, but we need to be praying as an outflow of this glorious grace that God has given to us because, he, friends, he is righteous and he is judge and he is good and he loves his people and he loves the people who are his who aren't already in the community yet. And so he calls us to go out and to love them in his name. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.